Welcome back to the Crazy Counselor Podcast. I am your host, Brandy Stinson. And I am your co-host, Kelly Center. Before we begin this episode, I do want to give a trigger warning that we do bring up the topic of suicide. As a reminder, if you or anyone that you know is having thoughts of suicide, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by dialing 988. Again, the number to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 988 and can be accessed from anywhere in the United States. So here we are yet again, another week. I would say another day, another dollar, but that might be a little ratchet, huh? No, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Okay. Making dollars every day. That's true. That's true. Another week, another day, another dollar. I feel like there's been like so much that has happened, just not even personally, but in the news, in the world, everything since we we last talked. Like, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, there was a meme that said, I want to go back to un- like, I want to stop living in unprecedented times. I want to live in yeah. precedented times. Right. I feel like we truly are in unprecedented times. Like every day. Like every day. Yes. But we'll get into that. Kelly, how was your week going? You know, I can't complain. It's just been busy. Now, last time we we talked, um, we were holding you to Ooh. reading a book, starting a book. I know that's long. Okay, yeah, that's about it. I've yes. been working. I've been very very busy working. So what you're saying is you let the people down. I let the people down. I'm pretty sure if we go back to that recording, I didn't sound that confident. You, you really did not. I, you didn't sound. I have I've been busy, but I've been. I, it's a good grind. I'm. I'm happy with with my my level of busy right now. Yeah. Well, don't feel bad. I was also supposed to be exercising, which every Sunday I say I'm gonna start tomorrow. I was even supposed to, y'all. I was even supposed to go to a class with Kelly and. And you're gonna love, like I, the, especially. The, oh, you're gonna. You're. You're. You won't be able to go this upcoming weekend, right? Right. When you come back, you we're gonna have to you're gonna have to come because there's some classes that you're gonna like. They're setting up Saturdays and Sundays real nice too. Okay. With um like a with fun classes and a yoga that I'm looking forward to. And uh you're gonna have to come. Okay. I'm gonna drag her out the house, y'all. Please do, because I yeah. have some I don't know why I just cannot get the motivation. Like every day I'm like, up. I have got to work out. You're not gonna feel like it, Brandy. Most days I do not feel like it. But it's okay. become such a habit that I just, I have to go. Okay. So you push past the emotional and mental. Absolutely. Even wall. if I like, this is going to sound crazy, but like, if I know I'm going to be up really late, like this past week, I've been needing to be there a little earlier. So if I'm up late working, I will literally like shower and go to sleep in my gym clothes. What? Because I know that I'm gonna f- like like fight myself, right? I'll wake up and be like, "It's cold. I don't want to go. It's raining outside." You know all these excuses. So if I have my gym clothes on, all I have to do is brush my teeth and put on my socks and shoes. I'm gonna try that. Yeah, I'm gonna try sleeping in my gym clothes. But it sounds crazy. Now- you know, one of the other trainers told me that yesterday morning. We were there early at like five, and he was like, "Oh, I had a hard time getting up this morning." He he was like, "You know what I did? I'm like, what'd you do?" He's like, I literally rolled out of the bed onto the floor. And when I was on the floor, I knew I had to get up. 
that's how crazy we are. We like, right? Just do it. You know. Oh my but god! But that goes to show you do not always feel like it, even when right. it's your chosen career path. You don't feel like it. you don't feel like it now. Watch, I put on some gym clothes and be like, I'm going to this class at eight o'clock. And at 11 o'clock, I'll still be in the bed in my gym clothes. <laughs> Didn't I even call you? I think you did. Girl. <laughs> I did. Because I was going to be like, I'll call you. But I think I called you and you said it was. And we knew it was like, why don't black folk like to come out in the rain? That's, now, that's Most true. Most of us natural anyway. <laughs> that's true. But we got to move forward. We got to move forward. <laughs> We gotta, we can't look back. We gotta move forward. So, you're gonna start the book and I'm gonna work. Oh, I've been writing. Okay. I've been, I said my nose been down. I haven't been on social media. I've been working. Okay. So, I've been, I mentioned before, I've been watching the news and um, more recently, I've been following this case of the um, ICU nurse who um, caused the accident at the intersection in LA. And as a result, six people were killed. And first of all, I never should have even watched the video because, I mean, I was just like... You watched the replay of the crash? Right. Well, you know how sometimes they make the post and it's like, you don't really know what you're watching until you read the caption and you're like, oh, that's what happened? You know. Um, But I just think that it's so interesting. Um, Her name is Nicole Linton. And she's 37, and so she's apparently going to be charged with murder and five counts of gross vehicular manslaughter. And she's, of course, you know, of course, being charged because of the accident. Um, So her attorney argued that she has documented profound mental health issues. And she's, you know, I'm assuming, I'm going to say was a traveling nurse, because I can only imagine what's going to happen to her career, unfortunately, after this. Mm-hmm. And she was denied bail mm-hmm. as well. So she is going to have to be at the detention center there. But gosh, it's just, I mean, it's just such a sad story because, I mean, she's young. I mean, seemingly professional, you know, seemingly successful an ICU nurse, you know, I mean, we, we know the standard that we're held to, to be helpers and degreed and licensed and all of that. And it's, I think the thing that sticks out is how one bad choice, one choice can literally change your entire life and the lives of people around you. Yeah. That is scary. So there's been some speculation, you know, at first they were saying that she was she had been drinking alcohol and then it was a fight with her boyfriend and then they did the toxicology and said, well, we didn't find any traces of that. So it's just so much speculation about why she would do that. And then, of course, there are people talking, saying that um, they think that it was a suicide attempt, right? That kind but of she, backfired. So she was not in the car alone. She was in the car alone. Oh, she was in the car alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know why I thought her boyfriend was in the car with her. This It's been so many different things put out, but she was in the car alone. Wow. Yeah. And the the car that she crashed into had a family, right? Right. Right. Yep. And they all died? Yep. And she lived. Isn't that just, it it is mind. My God. 
mind-boggling to me that, and so one of, let me finish the thought. I have so many thoughts. It's mind-boggling to me that she literally survived with like, I think she broke her arm. One of the victim's sisters said that in so many words, she was saying that the consequence of that was that she'll have to live with that for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And they understand that. And um, I just could not imagine having that level of guilt for this, you know. And then, you know, we, when we talk about mental health, if this was a passive, I guess this wouldn't be a passive suicide attempt. Um, but if this was an active suicide attempt, now to double what you were already dealing with that could have driven you to that point. Now you have the burden of six people who have died. Mm -hmm. Your career is a wash. And then possible, I think they- She's going to be in prison forever. Yeah. Yeah. They said if she's convicted, she could serve up to like 90 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's no, you know, no even thought of a career. Um, and, And I just, I would need to know more information because I guess my thought is like, suicide and I I can't generalize but I don't want to generalize but I guess I'm thinking like when people you know we've worked with people who are clinically depressed and who wanted to kill themselves and people who want to kill themselves don't generally want to kill other people you're right they don't that's different than like you know having homicidal thoughts so they may do things like walk into oncoming traffic or drive off of a bridge or things like that. Like, that's what I, I would, you know, that's why I'm, yeah. I, I would have more questions because, and again, everybody's, every situation is different. She might not have thought about it in that moment. She could have just had a split moment where she thought about, well, if we, you know, I'll have another car hit me. Maybe she thought she'd be T-boned. I don't know. Yeah. But just in general, most times they, 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 taking their lives is a way to stop from continuing to hurt other people because they feel like yeah. a burden. Yeah, so that that's is true. like, you know, kind of interesting to me, the thought that it would be, the intent would be suicide. I I don't know. I would, I would, I would need proof of that. I would, I would need to hear that because, you know. Well, do you, do you think it would be possible that she was hoping that she would harm herself and, and in the process, harm other people as well? Like, because, so the, the flip side of that is like, when we see people who do the mass shootings, right? They go and they harm other people and then they harm themselves. Yeah, but a lot of times, yeah, but they harm themselves to get out of the consequence of harming other people. Oh, you're right. They harm other people. Their first intent is to harm the other people. Yeah, you're right. Gosh, now I'm stumped. I thought I had this all figured out until I talked to you, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah I would not oh, but that's a good point that's suicide why you're one of my favorite counselors <laughs> suicide would be the last thing um on my thought with this situation really what do you think it could have been like I said it, unless it was one of those like if she's depressed had a breakup had a I'm just gonna end it I'm just gonna floor it if it was one of those instant but not someone who was suicidal thinking about it 
Mm. Like that's just not a, maybe if it was a split decision, if it was something that happened, but if that's the case, I would think that Mm. there would be family members, friends, boyfriends, somebody who would say this had just happened. There would be some explanation for this rash behavior. She was in the middle of psychosis. And in that case, then she was not coherent, which then we would have to go to her mental health records because if someone is not in their right mind, then that, then that would make sense. Right. Right. And it's looking like that's the the direction they're headed in with her attorney introducing now this information that she has an extensive mental health history and she had had 13 other car accidents yeah, where so there was bodily harm involved. To her or to other people? To other people. I wasn't clear. I don't think all of them were just to her. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't really clear on exactly who in each scenario, but 13 accidents on yeah. her driving history. That's, that's a lot. That's I mean, lot. I, I've been in some accidents, but that's a lot. 13. Yeah. Well then, yeah, then see, that's why you need more information. Yeah. Because the more, the more information you have, the, the you know, everything changes. So with that in mind, then yeah, maybe she was intending to harm herself. So what, what made you, so what about that piece of information gave you that conclusion? The repeated the repeated acts. I mean, unless you live in Atlanta, you might not have been in 13 accidents. <laughs> <laughs> right. 13 accidents is very feasible. Unfortunately, <laughs> like seriously, I've never been in an accident in my life. Thank the Lord. And to move into Atlanta. I, I believe that it's problematic. It's just it's it's an irritant of mine. Right. It really is. But um, so that's what I said, unless you've lived in Atlanta. Right. That first person that hit me, I was so irritated. And he was like, it's Atlanta. And I'm like, what, what's that supposed to mean? What's right. to me? Right. Like, y'all right. can't die? What? Of course not. <laughs> it, it was the, the worst part was that what made me most mad about it. I know this is a tangent. But what made me most mad about it was that he was in a Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And it was a. It, he couldn't get it to stop. So it was jerking, clunk, 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 clunk. Mm-hmm. And it hit me. And I'm like, see, that's my other problem. Y'all too busy trying to live up with the Joneses. Why don't you get your part at work instead right. of trying to just have a Mercedes Benz when it don't, it, it's it's breaking down on you. Hitting my little old Honda that was good to me. You know? Right. <laughs> never right. hurt anybody. Uh-oh, Kelly is triggered now. <laughs> He's triggered. Anyway, so... Back to the point, unless you live in Atlanta, being in 13 accidents is pretty strange. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but I'm still curious as to how. So with the 13 accidents, are you saying that? Now I question intent. OK, so this is what I'm trying to wrap my mind around. What about the intent? Oh, I get what you're saying, because this is something she was used to, apparently, was being in an accident. Well, this may be the story that she has told herself. You know, most people who are suicidal, if we're, let's Mm -hmm. say we're rolling with that story, right, which may seem plausible now, and they have a plan. And most people, like, they may up the ante of their plan, but generally they stick with their plan. It's something they've thought about, they've mulled over, and they're mm. comfortable with the ideal of their plan. If I'm going to take pills, it didn't work last time, let me take more pills. Mm. If I cut myself, maybe I need to cut deeper. Mm. So that's what makes me say, maybe. Maybe, okay. I also think it's interesting because 
I remember when I was interning at the forensics unit when I was in college at FSU. I interned at the forensics unit at the local police department. And I mean, it was it was not fun at all. Like I thought I wanted to be on CSI Miami and the answer was no after one summer. And the, I mean, the, the the officers and the crime scene investigators were great. It was awesome. They literally took me to every scene with them, but it was just so heavy and so much. Mm-hmm. But I distinctly remember this was before I even so I I had I was getting my bachelor's in psychology. So it was before my master's, but I wasn't too deep into the counseling world and studying um, suicide and suicide risk. But I remember one of the crime scene investigators saying to me that um, I remember us going to a house and um, there was a, it was a scene. And I remember him saying to me that women are not as likely to do things that's going to cause like bodily harm or harm to their face. So Mm -hmm. women would be more likely to like cut their wrists or um, take pills or things of that nature. Um, And so I I bring all that back and I apologize in advance. I should have said trigger warning. Um, But um, so I, I think that looking at how this all transpired, it's it's just so interesting that that was kind of the route. If if we're going with this cars point, are common, cars are common for women. Okay. You won't see gunshots. Okay, like gunshots are usually men do do things like that, but uh, cars are common. But again, okay. it's usually driving off the driving off the freeway, driving off a bridge or something, is still harming themselves, and it's mm-hmm. still almost. I think you were saying this earlier. It feels passive because it's you're, you're the car is doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but it's still active because they're driving. Mm, I see what you're saying. So this is all starting to make sense now. So it does make me wonder if they're gonna go with the mental health history. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that she won't still t- do time. Yeah, that's she'll do that time maybe in a mental facility where they'll put her on suicide watch or something like that. Yeah, she'll yeah. still be, she'll still be locked up for that. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know. Do you do you feel like we're handling? Do are we really handling like mental health issues when they come up as far as like law enforcement and how are we handling like when someone's schizophrenic? There was there was a um, story recently. Where, and I'll have to go back and and pull her name, but a young lady who was having a schizophrenic episode. Mm-hmm. And. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shot, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think she was in, uh, from what I saw in the video, she was in, they were trying to get her in the car and then she got some kind of way she got out of the car. Mm-hmm. She was able to get out. And so what they were trying to figure out was, was. When they put her in the police car, did they shut the door before they drive before they drove off? When the video, it looks like they shut the door. But, you know, um, someone was saying that like the other the opposite door was unlocked. Um, but, you know, to your point, those it happens often where people are shot if they are having a schizophrenic episode, uh, you know, a psychotic episode or they're manic or. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what, where does the rubber meet the road when it comes to law enforcement and mental health? What, what should be a reasonable expectation of them to know that someone's having a psychotic episode versus this person has decided that 
they're just going to do whatever they want to and go shoot yeah. a, a community, you know? Yeah. I think that can be, you know, challenging for law enforcement because you also have the, you, you don't know if it, like, let's say they aren't, you know, having a psychotic break. Is it drug induced or is it, you know, natural, which you would think like, well, the cause of it shouldn't dictate how you would treat them or respond to them. But because if they're not in their right mind, they're going to, you know, they're going to respond however, however they respond. But yeah. I think I think there, you know, definitely needs to be some reform around that. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I remember I you know, people have always said, Oh, well, I think that law enforcement should have a social worker or a, a licensed counselor or someone come out with them on crime scenes or, you know, and I'm like, now that sounds good, but let me keep it real. I <laughs> I definitely want officers to not harm people when they're having a psychotic episode. Mm -hmm. I want them to be able to accurately read when someone is psychotic and needs to go to the hospital mm -hmm. versus someone who has actively just made a decision to harm people. They're having a bad day. They had road rage and decided to harm someone, so, mm -hmm. things like that. However, there's a reason why counselors and social workers are counselors and social workers instead of law enforcement, right? right. If someone has a gun, I'm running. Let's be clear about that, okay? I would not feel 100% safe or I, I just think I would be nervous going out with an officer and they're like, well, come out with this on this call with us. And, you know, they're, the person is, you know, wielding a gun. I'd be like, you want me to do what? Because yeah. the main thing would be to try to engage them, to talk them down, right? To accurately assess. Mm -hmm. But to do that, you would have to almost be on the front line of that. Mm -hmm. And that takes a different skill set. Like talking you down when you have a gun in your hand and pointed at me is like at that point, I'm pleading for my life. Mm hmm. Versus I think when people make the argument that social workers or counselors should come out with law enforcement, they're thinking more like, oh, you need it, it should be like help the officers to understand what's going on. You mm -hmm. you won't have that kind of time if someone has a weapon. At yeah. that point, you need to just be concerned with your life. That's my take on it. And and I think, but and I wonder, let me not say, I think I wonder if that is part of the concern is that that's what happens. The cops are out there and they're, you know, which understandably so, but they're worried about their life because mm -hmm. I, I, you know, from my interaction with, um, you know, in, in counseling settings with, you know, law enforcement in general, like mm -hmm. regardless of how, where they're serving, um, one, many of them have past military, you know, history. Yeah. Yeah. But besides that, there's lots of anxiety. And I'm not saying that they are that it's misplaced anxiety. I'm just saying it's anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of that is, you know, because for a while I was working in the town I used to work in. I worked with like several officers and mm -hmm. interesting um, officers and military personnel and then their spouses because they mm -hmm. actually go through a lot of the same things. But um, I just saw a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Like and so it made it, it it scared me and it made sense. 
because yeah. this was just a snapshot of the few people that I, I saw in a rural town I'm working in, you right. know, and, and they're like, they're telling me they have a hard time looking people in the eye. They have what they, they're anxious. Yeah. Yeah. And they're responding. The problem is they have, they have a deadly weapon in their hand and they're responding and they're trained. Exactly. They are taught exactly. to kill. Exactly. So if I have a, you know, if I have anxiety on top of, you know, you, you add in and sprinkle in, you know, all the things that have been going on forever, but that have been intensified the last several yeah. years, well, last decade or so, right. With all these shootings that have been publicized because it's been going on forever right. and you add in, you know, you know, racial, racial bias. I mean, like even just seeing it from the other perspective, seeing it from a, a perspective of like, you know, a, 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 let's say a white police officer who pulls over a black person. Right. And you're already right. anxious and they feel like you're going to kill them and you don't know if they're going to kill you. Right. And, yeah. and you, you know, like that's the, re that's the reality. So everybody's anxious. Everybody's out here responding and one, one's legally able to get away with it and one's not, but right. I, it's lots of anxiety. Right. I, I, Do you think having a, a mental health professional go out would make the difference though? I don't think so because I mean, how many times have we seen other police officers try to intervene to calm down? I, first, I could be wrong, but my thought is like the ones who would one be okay with having mm -hmm. someone come out probably aren't the ones who need somebody to come out. Yeah. And then you think about all the times that you have, you know, other officers trying to calm their um, partners down, our other officers down, and they aggressively respond to them. Like, I don't. I don't know that that is necessarily the answer. And that's why we have crisis teams. Every city, um, you know, and in, in across the United States have crisis teams that can come yeah. out. I think that would be the appropriate team to be called out. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to go out. Like I want yeah. them to be calm and subdued, at least sit down, you know, yeah. I can talk to them. I don't want to, you know, like you think about people who even work in hospitals, like yes. both hospitals, they get hit and injured all the time. They do. They do. And that was the conversation I was wishing that we could have been having publicly. Like, no, that's not a good idea because I mean, I've worked in an inpatient setting mm -hmm. and I, I know what it's like when you have a patient who, you know, is, is just really having a difficult time. And the way that the office was set up was we could go in mm -hmm. and the door would lock behind us. Like when we went into the office with just the employees and that was a safety measure, right? Because if someone was in the waiting room and we needed to call a panic button, push a, a panic button or security, we're, we're in a, in a safe environment, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And security would come, you know, could come right there and handle the situation. But it's dangerous because when you talk about psychosis, um, I don't know if people understand what that in sometimes entails and how difficult it could be to engage someone when they're in that state. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I worked at the jail for a local jail for a while and there were times where even as a counselor, if they if the, if an inmate came in or someone came in, maybe they were homeless and had mental health issues. So they had been off their medication for a while, mm -hmm. but they were, you know, they could have had schizophrenia or it just been having a manic episode. And there were times where I had to have the officers to escort me to go and try to do an assessment because 
it was a safety issue. You know, there were some times I couldn't even assess a patient because they were so psychotic and it took them kind of, I don't want to use the word forcefully because it wasn't violent, but I mean, you know, if a person is refusing medication and they are, you know, psychotic, they, they had to, you know, give the injection or what have you to try to calm them down so that we can start to really care for them. Mm-hmm. So it just gets so tricky. I couldn't imagine having to make those kind of decisions on the street. You know what I'm saying? When everything's happening so fast, I just. And, you know, when the small town that I worked in years ago, uh, we would like sometimes it, depending on what officer was called out, if they knew that they were a patient at our clinic, they might call us. And someone from our office may may go out because we have history with that client. So there have been times where we were brought out to scenes and the cops didn't maybe know or some maybe I think one time in particular that I'm thinking about someone lived in the neighborhood and they called the office like, hey, your client is out here and the cops are, you know, like cornering them. And Mm -hmm. so we had driven out there, me and someone else to calm them down to calm the, uh, the client down Mm -hmm. and the cops, you know, were very, they were, they did not want us engaging. They did not want us. They were like, you know, stand back, don't engage. We were trying to show them our badges, you know, tell them where we work, that this is our client. And we were trying to calm them, calm them down. And we were able to calm the client down, um, so that they could at least apprehend them Mm -hmm. instead of like, what would have, could have easily been like a shooting. And we're yeah. like, you know, his meds are yeah. not working. You know, we were trying to get him injections and they just saw this angry black man in the street, you know, yelling, screaming, and they're ready to take him down because he's not compliant. He can't even hear you. Like, right. you know, you're screaming and right. yelling at him, get down, whatever. And he's like, like, that's the, that to your point about the training, yeah. like you're trying to give someone commands that's not there. Like right. they're not, they don't even have the cognitive ability in that moment to even respond to you. No, they don't. And you're t- yelling at them, telling them, get down, get down, put your hands behind your back. They're not going to, they're not going to listen to you. They're probably no. going to charge you. Like, yeah. you know, but yeah. you know, so we were able to calm them down enough because they recognize our faces and mm-hmm. whatever else and calm them down so that they could at least be apprehended and taken to the hospital. And then they were right back in our clinic within a week and, right. you know, on some meds, but it's like, it was scary. We talked about it. We staffed it because we were like, this could have been on the local news. Like, this is not like, and you would think even in the small town, like, why don't the police officers know us? Why don't they call us? Like we are, we were like the only clinic in town at the time. Mm -hmm. It's a small town. Like there's no reason for us to not be working together. Right. You know, I like the, the point of you you guys being able to go out and that person recognizing you. Cause I think that makes a difference if it's like, Especially if you've built rapport, if you've built rapport with your client and they kind of look at you as like a safe space, because our our basic need as human beings is safety, right? Mm -hmm. So I think even in psychosis and, you know, this isn't like research proven, it's just me talking. (laughs) But I think that even in psychosis, like there's still that drive for safety, which is why they will defend themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or anyone who's in psychosis will, I mean, we'll, we defend ourselves at all times if we feel the need to, um, instinctual, right? Instinctual. Yes. And so I think what you just shared highlighted that safety concern, number one, and then number two, 
I like the fact that when that client recognized you, it it's like it clicked safety. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you were able to kind of bring them to a more calm state. Now that would make, I think that would make the difference if it's like, okay, well, let's call the mental health provider that they're already working with and have a good rapport with. But that's that would be like in a perfect world. Yeah, that, that happen. doesn't happen. No. And you think about it, even with policing, a lot of police officers, rightfully so, and for safety reasons, don't, po- don't police the areas that they live in, yeah. right? So yeah. in a perfect world, they would. In a perfect world, we would all know each other, right? So then the officer knows you and knows your mama. So, you know, they can respond to you a little bit differently Mm -hmm. or, you know, like in that, I didn't live in that town, but the, some of the coworkers did. So they, you know, we knew right where to go or someone happened to be picking up their kid from the bus stop and saw it Mm -hmm. and called to the office Mm -hmm. and said, Hey, so-and-so's out here. And we knew right where to go because it was small town, you know, in a perfect world. Yeah, but that's not people you generally don't live where they police. Even the police officers that I worked with in that community, they lived there. They didn't work there. Right. Right. Yeah, that would definitely be like the perfect setup. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't happen. That doesn't happen that often. Mm -mm. And then you add the. Just the adrenaline that comes with going to a scene where someone is perceived to be dangerous. Yep. You're heightened, sprinkling anxiety, right? (laughs) Sprinkling past trauma. (laughs) Oh, listen, yep, all of the above, man. It's factor in fear. Yeah. So you know, this is, and I don't know, uh, I don't know how much. Maybe I shouldn't even talk about it. I won't talk about it. I have to talk to you offline and see if it's okay to talk about. But like, I don't know about how much you know, even though we leave names out, how much client, client stuff, but I guess I'll just say in a general sense, I think we have to also be mindful, like with trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what our, what we bring from our own personal lives, like mm-hmm. lived experiences, childhood and adulthood, and how that impacts us career-wise, right? I think it, it, you know, we can say that for any field, but since we're talking about police officers, being mindful, you know, of that too. And that you can have, you know, and I don't know if we feel like we talked about this before, that you can have, you know, implicit bias against your own race. Mm, Yes. Light versus dark are, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone being of tall, you know, stature, or, you know, there's so many other things that, and I think that's, that's where cultural competency training comes in. I think yeah. for all fields, but, you know, in this, since we're talking, since we're talking about it with, um, with, uh, policing, but just being mindful of your own biases. We yeah. all have biases. Sometimes those biases are the result of stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. And Our lived experiences, right? Lived experiences, yeah. I could. My father could have been a, a tall man that you know yelled and was abusive and very fair skinned. So now I'm frightened of you know tall, fair skinned men. That's not right. the truth, but I'm saying you know, and right. I could have a a response to that. I could right. treat people a certain way because of something that has nothing to do with them. Right. We all have implicit bias. We it's do. our job to be aware of our bias. Right. 
And as helpers, obviously, whether that's a counselor, a police officer, a nurse, whoever, to check that at the door and be mindful of what you bring into an environment. But, you yep. know, yep. Our, our biases can, when we think of bias, we often think of it being bad, but well, it's most often referred to as something negative. negative. Yeah, yeah, negatively, like in terms of us feeling a, a negative way about things or people, but sometimes our biases can cause us to attract or gravitate to things or respond to things, um, mm -hmm. you know, in a way that's favorable to, feels favorable to us, but it has bad consequences. You get what I'm saying? Give me an example. So like, for example, um, I was, when you were talking about bias or like how your father could be one way and then you respond that way to someone that reminds you of him. Um, I was having a conversation with someone and I was talking about, so this is so interesting. I was talking about a past dating situation and I was like, I just do not know, like if we, we didn't click, you know, the communication was always off. And so what was it that kind of had me stuck for so long? You know, mm -hmm. what, why did I continue to try to make it work? Mm. And we kind of, you know, threw around some different ideas. And it wasn't until the next day, the next morning, actually, I was in the shower. I feel like I get my best ideas in the shower. It's, it's just so mm -hmm. strange. That's also where I pray. But that's another episode for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> so I started thinking about this and I'm like, you know what it was? Hmm. It was because prior to that relationship, something that I was missing in that relationship, I got it in this one, but everything else was missing, right? Hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it was more like a like a a bias or like a I don't know, I, I don't know that it necessarily there were a lot of things that felt familiar, but they were not healthy. Mm -hmm. Am I making sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, when I, when that clicked for me, I was like, oh my God, that was why. Cause I really was like, why was that driven? You know? Mm -hmm. But I said all that to say that when we talk about just that notion of bias, like we have to be mindful of not just how it shows up in a clinical setting, but how sure. a bias towards something can show up even in our personal lives. Right. Mm -hmm. And how we navigate, how we operate, you know, even if you're not in the working, in the helping profession, just how it shows up professionally. For sure. Yeah. I think it shows up in, in many areas of our lives. We just, we have to be, that takes some, some self-awareness. Yes. Yes. Much, much self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Sometimes self-awareness isn't easy. Well, self-awareness is most of the times not easy because you have to really be willing to dig into some uncomfortable and some hard truths. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to admit areas that, you know, you may, like you said, you may have been wounded in or had some trauma or a bad relationship with a parent or, mm -hmm. you know, a bad experience before. And now it's shaping how you engage in future situations or yeah. current situations. Yeah. Most of us don't want to, you know, face our stuff. It but is. it can be done. 
It is hard, but it is possible. It is possible. There's hope. <laughs> I'm sorry. The uh, uh, and I don't even think it's this right, but it's the the Brandy and Whitney uh, Houston song is coming to mind. But they Which were saying one? impossible, impossible, and I'm like, it's possible. Oh gosh, you don't remember that? No, Cinderella I remake? don't. The Cinderella remake with Whitney Houston and Brandy. I remember the movie, but it's been so long. I'm gonna have to go look it up. Send me a clip. Okay, I think I just saw a clip of them singing or something. You know, Brandy. Okay. Somebody posted Brandy singing with Whitney. Okay, so Kelly, as we're we're winding down here, start the book because you're supposed to be reading a book. So you're writing. I, a book. Yeah, I don't have time to be re- reading. I'm gonna be honest. Oh god, I told you reading wasn't happening. It's not happening in this season. Does it excuse me from working out? Absolutely not. I'm writing. No, well, let me see. That's not true. I'm pivoting some things. So I will probably, I told you I have all these books on my nightstand. I will start, um, I need to be intentional with reading at least once a week. Okay. I can do that. I can do once a week. Because okay. I have some books I've been wanting to get in. You're about to travel. You got, you're going to have time to read. I am. You know, I actually have Lovey Ajaye's well, she's Lovey Ajaye Jones now, but I have her book, Professional Troublemaker. It's been on my bookshelf now for like six months and I need to read it because I feel like she's like my twin. Like, I feel like if I were Nigerian, I would be her. Like, I just love her. Like, I just love her. So I need to read that book. Um, I also recently purchased... Um, I'm going to have to go back and look at her name. I think it's Jessica. I forget her last name, but she's the first African-American woman to travel to every country. You mentioned that. You did. Yes. Yes. So I got her book on Kindle and I was like, I'm going to read this book. I got it like three weeks ago. I haven't started. So needless to say, I have two books that I need to buy by some amazing black women who I need to I need to read. So, like you said, I have some travel coming up. So, maybe on a beach or in a cafe eating tiramisu. (laughs) Or a train. Yes. Or on the train. Yes. I can actually read these books. Yeah, I think that sounds great. 